Let's pray. Um, our dear Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that you have spoken to us in your word. Uh, we thank you, Father, that your Son, Jesus, by the power of your Spirit, is not dead, but he is alive. Uh, Father, we thank you that that is an event that's happened in history that you were able to test. Um, and yet, Father, we do know that we live at the moment by faith, in that we trust your word that you have given to us and the people who have passed it down to us. And yet one day, Father, we look forward to when we will live by sight, when we will see your Son, the Lord Jesus, when we'll be able to bow down before him, when we will be able to see him face to face. And Father, we long for that day. And in the meantime, we pray, Father, that you would help us to know that there are good reasons why we believe that you did raise your Son, the Lord Jesus, from the dead. And so I pray now that as I speak, you give me the words to say, you give all of us teachable hearts. And I pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Uh, guys, uh, you, know, you know kids have a funny way of... Um, I may have shared this story before, but kids have a funny way of saying the most inappropriate things at the most inappropriate moments because they, uh, they have no filter. They don't have any social sort of awareness uh, and that sort of gets built into us as we get a little bit older. And our daughter Hannah is a classic in this sense. I think Maddie is going to trump her. Uh, but it was only it was a few years ago. Hannah is now six, but she was three at the time. And she went to her first funeral. And she whispered in my ear, and I was about to take the funeral. And she whispered in my ear, sort of, this loud so that everyone could hear. She said, where's the lady in the box now, Daddy? Right? And the first the four rows in front of me all sort of turned around, and they're all relatives who were crying. And before I could even... After anything, she said, will I see her again, Daddy? And uh, how do you answer that? Is there hope um, to a little girl who's, in the, who's three? And thankfully, I believe we will see that lady again because that lady happened to be Claris. Uh, many of you will not know Claris. Claris uh, was at um, our church at Bexley North. Uh, she died at around about the age of 90 and Claris had been at the church at Bexley North since the day it opened its doors in 1951. And I think this is right and Zach will nod if this is true and Phil, I think they know the history, but I think that, Christ, that Bexley North Anglican Church, as we know it, Holy Trinity Bexley North, was actually planted, it was a church plant from Christchurch Bexley. So Christchurch Bexley existed, is kicked off in about 1890, but... Uh, there was this growing suburb around about Bexley North up the hill and they decided that there needed to be a new church up there. And so in 1951 they built that church building and Claris was one of the first people who joined the church there. And uh, Bexley Road in those days was a dirt road right, in the 50s and it hadn't been tarred yet. And Claris, in her house, she built a toilet that had plumbing. And all of her neighbours said, you're mad. Right? There won't be proper sewerage here. Right, and so and she said, "No, no, no, just wait, just wait. This this Bexley North, it's really going to come along, right?" And it's just the fifties, and so there's Claris, and ever since she was there, uh, she taught and led the Sunday school at Bexley North for many, many years. And I remember talking to her, and she was a wonderful, faithful, godly, prayerful, incredibly committed Christian lady, and uh, she would often. 
uh, talk to me after church and just say that she was praying. She said, oh, I don't want to take up too much of your time. Go and talk to someone else. But just know I'm praying for you and know that you know, when I'm not here, I want the ministry at Bexley North to be thriving again. Because when she, when she, some of the years she led the Sunday school, there were so many kids that they had to have Sunday school outside, the, underneath the trees. And, and isn't it great to be seeing Bexley North as a church continue to grow and wouldn't it be great to see it there again? Um, and so Hannah will see Clarice again. But the reason why I can say that is because Jesus has risen from the dead and that he begun the resurrection. But lots of people will say, well, hang on, is that history or is that a myth? And because without this event, there is literally no Christianity without the resurrection. Um, Jesus was a great teacher, but Christianity is not based on his teachings. Jesus was a great miracle worker, but it's not founded on his miracles, except perhaps this one. Uh, Jesus was a great servant. You know, he cared for the poor. He, he fed uh, those who were hungry. He helped the marginalised. But Christianity is not based and founded in any of those things. Because you can be someone who actually doesn't yet follow the Lord Jesus and you can believe that he is a great teacher. You can believe that he's an amazing miracle worker. You can believe that he was a great servant who helped the poor. But the one thing, the, the distinguishing feature of someone who calls himself a Christian is that you believe on the first Easter Sunday morning that Jesus rose from the grave. That's what we believe. And the Apostle Paul, and we, we see this in, in 1 Corinthians 15, he said this, and I'll say it again, if Christ has not been raised, he said, then your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. We are totally wasting our time. And later in the this same chapter, he said this, if Jesus is dead today, then we are to be pitied more than all men. People might as well laugh. You silly Christians. You worship a guy that's dead. He's saying it would be foolish to believe in Jesus and to call him Lord if he was still in the grave. It'd be silly to confess your sins to him. It'd be silly to believe that there's hope beyond the grave. You'd be pitied more than anyone, if Jesus hasn't risen. And so what I want to do tonight is actually sort of unpack some of the reasons, just some of the reasons why we believe that Jesus' resurrection from the grave is merited. You know, that's, it's worthy for us to trust in. It's, so you can actually have confidence to believe it yourself uh, and so that we can have confidence to share it with the people that we love that there are really good historical reasons why we believe that a man did come out of the grave after three days and that he didn't die again and he stayed alive. And so I want to do it by just answering a few questions that lots of people ask me about the resurrection. And the first one is this, right? What evidence is there? That's the question we've got. And the first question is, what is a resurrection? A few people ask me about this this week following last week's sermon. There's a difference between a resuscitation and a resurrection. A resurrection is, it's not like you've been dead for 30 seconds or that your heart has stopped for a little while or even a few hours and then you've been resuscitated back to life. No, a resurrection is when someone has been dead and they've been dead for a long period of time, but that's not what makes it a resurrection. A resuscitation is when you've technically been dead, then you come back to life and then you die again. That's a resuscitation. A resurrection is you've been dead, 
You come alive and you do not die again. That's the difference. And Jesus' resurrection was the first of those. Except perhaps Enoch, who just went straight up to heaven. But that's, that's another one. Uh, and so what evidence is there is what lots of people ask. And so the first thing is, is the biblical evidence, right? Uh, firstly, Jesus predicted that this was going to happen. He did this constantly throughout the Gospels. He constantly said throughout his life on earth that he would suffer, that he would be brutally killed, that he would be rejected, that he would die, and then after three days he would rise again. Just have a look at a few examples from Mark chapter 8, verse 31. Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and then he must be killed and on the third day rise again. Now, of course, the disciples were like us, and dead people don't come back from the dead, so they didn't believe it. So then Jesus said it again, just in the next chapter. He said this in Mark chapter 9. He said, the Son of Man, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill me, is what he's saying. And after three days, I will rise from the dead. And again, he says it in Mark 10 and in the other Gospels, you can see the other places where this is recorded. Jesus predicts that he's going to die and he's going to rise from the dead. And he predicted exactly what was going to unfold, right? That he'd be betrayed by his friends, that the religious leaders would be at the center of his sham trial, that his death would be brutal, that he would be mocked, that he would be spat upon, that he would be flogged, that he would be crucified, and then after three days he would rise. Jesus said all of that, before any of it happened, again and again and again, Jesus made it absolutely clear that he was in control of what was going to happen to him. And it did. Now the second bit of biblical evidence is this, is that Jesus died and he was buried. Right? Jesus was flogged. And most, well not most, quite a few people actually died from the flogging. Um, who here has seen uh, Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ? Have you seen that? Historians will tell me that apparently that is about as close to what it was like as we can imagine. So the floggings were horrendous. They would, you know, that there would be the sort of cat of nine tails type thing that would have bits of metal on the end. And so often when the men were, were whipped, then sometimes a bit of metal would get caught in one of their ribs and would literally tear their ribs straight out of their bodies. And so many died just from the flogging. But Jesus didn't, and so he was led to be crucified on a cross. And then he was crucified by a professional executioner, a Roman soldier, whose job it was to kill people. And that's exactly what they did. And these guys were thorough, because we know in John chapter 19 that, that when the Jews, they, they said that they, we don't want any dead or half-dead bodies hanging up on the crosses on the Sabbath. We don't want that to be the case, so... We want to make sure that they die quickly. So what did the Roman soldiers do? They were meant to go around and break the legs of those who were being crucified. So the reason why they would do that is because when you were being crucified and you were sort of nailed through your feet and through your hands, the way that you would continue to breathe and stay alive through the hours that you were dying is that you would have to push up from your legs to sort of get some air into your lungs. And so to make sure that Jesus, what they used to do is if people weren't dying quick enough is that they would break their legs and obviously because of the extreme pain you wouldn't be able to push up from your legs and so basically you would, you would suffocate. You wouldn't be able to breathe anymore and you would die. 
So the soldiers, they come to Jesus, they go to break his legs, and why don't they break them? Well, one's to fulfill scripture that not one of his bones would be broken. But the other reason is, is because he was already dead. But just to make sure of it, what does a Roman soldier do? He gets a spear, he plunges it into Jesus' rib cage, straight into Jesus' heart, it explodes and out comes blood and water. That's what happened. Jesus is dead. And his body is taken down, it's put in a grave that Joseph of Arimathea had bought for him. They then wrapped him in 40 kilograms of wrapping and burial spices. Right? That's how they preserve the body, sort of mum, almost sort of mummified type state. And so Jesus had no air, no food, no medical treatment for three days. The point is, is that he's really dead. And they bury him in a cave. Jesus died and was buried. He really did die. The third piece of biblical evidence is that Jesus returned three days later from the grave. So turn over to Luke 24. So come to one of the Gospels. So Luke 24. And you've got to remember that the guy who wrote Luke, do you know Luke wasn't one of the eyewitnesses of Jesus? He wasn't one of the 12 apostles. He was a medical doctor and a historian. He didn't see any of this. He just recorded what other people told him had happened. And so this is his retelling based on what the other people had said. Look at Luke 24. It says, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. So Jesus would have stunk by now, so they wanted to put more spices on him. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In a fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men, who we know from John were angels, said this to them, Why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. Remember how he told you, Jesus told you, while he was still in Galilee? They're basically saying, don't you remember the predictions? Don't you remember the fact that Jesus said that this would happen? He'd he'd be crucified and on the third day he would rise again. It's the third day. Why are you here? He's risen. And so excitedly they they run off and they go back to the eleven, some of the apostles, and tell them what has happened. Look, Look at verse 10. We know that it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told the apostles. But... Look at verse 11. But the apostles did not believe the women because their words seemed like nonsense. And they were nonsense. Dead people, as you know, don't come back from the grave. So it seemed like nonsense to them, right? Basically, they thought the women were being hysterical and irrational. And so Peter, what does he do? He runs up to the tomb himself to see if it's the case. And he saw that the women were right. And so what happens next? Well, Jesus starts to appear to people all over the place. Um, Acts chapter 1 says for the next 40 days, Jesus started to make appearances to all sorts of people. Now, it's not like Jesus was in intensive care for three months, you know, recovering from his injuries, from the flogging, from the spear through his heart. Right? Here he is doing life as normal, eating with people, walking around, talking to people. 
Jesus is not someone who was injured and has been resuscitated. Jesus is someone who was dead and has been raised perfectly to life. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, that was actually written before the Gospels. It was written not long after uh, Jesus' resurrection. It reports that Jesus, he met with small groups and large groups, with individuals, with the apostles, with all sorts of people. He was very much alive. Um, uh, Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 15 that we read before. He said, For what I received, I passed on to you as, first, as of first importance. In other words, this is the most crucial bit of information you'll ever hear in your life. And what's that? That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That he was buried. And then he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And then he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to the apostles, and last of all to me also, as to one abnormally born. See, Paul's saying that when Jesus was risen from the dead, he appeared and he hung out with all sorts of people. Right? And Paul, he was, he'd written this letter within the lifetime of the people that had seen Jesus risen from the dead. So if Jesus hasn't risen from the dead, then anyone could have freely refuted this document and said it wasn't true. But they didn't. And basically, Paul in this part is saying, if you don't believe me, that's okay. Go and talk to all the other people he appeared to. There's all sorts of people around here who have seen Jesus alive. If you don't believe me, why don't you just go and talk to them check it out for yourself and not only that there are some people who came to believe that jesus rose from the dead and started testifying that that had happened that they never would have done it if it hadn't have happened now thomas is a classic example of that right thomas we learn in john chapter 21 or john chapter 20 when he first hears about the resurrection he reacts like any rational person would he says that can't happen Dead people don't rise from the dead is effectively what he says. And Thomas is right. It's highly unusual, right? And Thomas says, look, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and unless I put my finger in his side where the spear went in, I will not believe it. Even though his friends who had been with Jesus, even though Jesus had predicted it, he says, I won't believe it. A week later, Jesus appears in a locked room and he stands right in front of Thomas. And he says to him, put your finger here. Put your hands in my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas makes the only rational response that he can. He falls on the ground and he says, my Lord and my God. Now at first, Thomas didn't believe that the resurrection could happen. He saw the proof and he changed his mind. Like, it's the only way that it happens. By nature, none of us naturally believe that Jesus has risen from the dead. It's not something you could naturally believe. You need to hear about it, you need to be convinced of it, and you need to change your mind is, is how it happens. It's how someone becomes a Christian. That's the, that's the really compelling biblical evidence. But there's other evidence too, right? Lots of people say, well, what other circumstantial evidence exists for Jesus' resurrection? Well, firstly, it's this. Three things to say. The transformation of the disciples is the first one. 
Right? These men went from being cowards to some of the bravest men you'll ever see. How did that happen? Right? Before Jesus' death, Peter and the others locked themselves in a room. Right? They were afraid of what the locals' uh, authorities are going to do. They're afraid that their fate is going to be exactly the same as Jesus. They locked the doors and they hide themselves away. Right? They're not brave and bold men at all. Not at all. And yet within days, they're publicly preaching that Jesus has risen from the dead at the risk of their life and at the risk of the lives of their families. Why would they do that? And 11 of the 12 were killed for preaching the resurrection. You would think that if one of them, they had nothing to be gained, there wasn't 10 virgins waiting in heaven for those who would be martyred for the Lord Jesus. That's not Christianity. Right? There's nothing to be gained for proclaiming Jesus' resurrection if it's not true. And you would think that if they'd hidden the body somewhere, thought that they'd sort of, this wasn't a get-rich-quick scheme, they didn't make any money out of it, they all died. For example, James, Jesus' brother. When Jesus was first doing his miracles, James thought Jesus was lunatic. And so did his mother, if you remember rightly. Right? But... After the resurrection, James ends up being a leader of the early church and ends up being killed for preaching the resurrection. The apostle Peter, the one who was cowering in the room, leads the early church and is crucified upside down. Why? Because he didn't want to die in the same way as his Lord was killed. How do you, other than that Jesus has risen from the dead, how else do you explain these men going from cowards to heroes? You've got to have a better explanation. Second reason, circumstantial. Women were eyewitnesses. Now, I know this sounds a little bit controversial today, and I can see from a few smiles that that's the case, but one of the really interesting features of the gospel accounts is that women were the first eyewitnesses of Jesus' resurrection. Now, the thing is, in the first century, if you're a woman, your testimony wasn't considered to be trustworthy in any way. You couldn't give evidence in court. You were considered to be frivolous in the words that you said. Now, just as an aside, God obviously doesn't think that way uh, because he made women the first eyewitnesses of the resurrection. So that wasn't his belief. It was what was practiced culturally. But this is the question. If you're going to make up a story about the resurrection and you wanted Greek people and Jewish people to believe it, why would you make women the eyewitnesses? Why would you make them the first who saw it if you wanted it to be credible? I guess unless it was true. But the women were the first to see him. And so what <laughs> the women were the first to see him. And so what did the gospel writers do? Luke and the others put women as the first eyewitnesses. Why? Because that's how it happened. They're just being faithful to the history. As unbelievable as that made the gospel sound, they just put it in there. Third bit of circumstantial evidence is this. That Jesus' tomb was not enshrined. Right? See, what's interesting about Jesus' resurrection is that it didn't become a holy site in the years following his death. So there's all sorts of you know, Jewish religious figures that their, sort of, uh, their places where they were buried became shrines where people went and sort of you know, uh, honoured them post their death. And yet that didn't happen to Jesus' tomb. Now, 
His tomb would have only been a few kilometres away from the city. It was Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. So they would have known, it would have been recorded. They would have known exactly where it was. And yet, no one went there. If Jesus' corpse was still there, why didn't they follow that same custom of honouring the dead like they did with the other religious leaders of his day? Why didn't they do that? After a few days, no one went to the grave. No one took flowers. No one went and cried at Jesus' grave. Why didn't they do that? Because he wasn't there. Because if you wanted to speak to him, you could go and have lunch with him. Why would you take flowers to his grave if you could go down to the markets and have a lamb kebab or whatever they would have had at that point, right? Why, why would you have done that? Of course you wouldn't. Jesus' tomb was not enshrined for the very simple reason that he didn't stay dead. He came back from the dead. Now, that's compelling. But lots of people will then say, ah, 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 ah. These are all biased witnesses. For example, the disciples, they're all fans of Jesus. And they've written about Jesus. So if the Bible is our only evidence for the resurrection of Jesus, then surely it's bias. Right? My quick answer to that is no. <laughs> like, it's always those who want a particular history to be written are the those who write it. For example, if you've lost a war, do you write about it? No. It's the winners who write. Right? If, if Julius Caesar... The, the wars that he wrote about in his histories, about what happened back in the first century and what he did, he only wrote about the ones that he won. It's the same with Christianity. You would expect that because the disciples believed in Jesus and because they knew he's risen from the dead, they're the ones who are going to record in history what he's done. But not only that, there are non-Christian sources that talk about Jesus' resurrection. There's not as much as what's in the Bible, but... Have a look at this. This is written by Josephus. Now, Josephus, he was a um, non-Christian uh, Jewish historian. He, he lived from 37 AD to 100 AD, so he sort of was born about four years after Jesus' death and resurrection. He was paid by the government. He was a Jewish government official who was writing the history of the Jewish people, and he said this about Jesus. He's not a fan. He's just writing history. He says, at this time there appeared Jesus, a wise man, if indeed one ought to refer to him as a man. Some people think that was added. I've got to tell you that. Um, for he was a doer of startling deeds, his miracles, a teacher of people who had received the truth with pleasure. And he gained a following both among many Jews and among many of Greek origin. He was the Messiah Christ. And when Pilate because of an accusation made by the leading men among us, condemned him to the cross. Those who had loved him previously did not cease to do so. For on the third day he appeared to them alive, just as the divine prophets had spoken, that is the Old Testament, about these and countless other marvellous things about him. Some people think they, they added that. And up until this very day, the tribe of Christians named after him has not died out. Basically what Josephus is saying is that the reason why this tribe of Christians that's named after Jesus hasn't just fizzled away is because the very reason is is because a man was dead, just as the Old Testament scriptures had said, and he came back from the dead. That's why. Now, you can't accuse Josephus of being biased. 
Right. Now, what's interesting about Josephus is you can know the information about Jesus and even say that in history he rose from the dead and do nothing with it. And isn't it sad that he did nothing with it? That he believed that Jesus rose from the dead and yet he did nothing. It's a tragedy. And there are other non-Christian sources like Tacitus, the Roman historian, talks about Jesus. It's not just the Bible. Now at this point, some people have other objections. They'll say, yeah, 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 I got all this. I was talking to a guy this week in a cafe about this very question. And he threw out one of these. Uh, I won't tell you which one. And uh, let's see how we might lovingly answer these ones. Have you heard this question before? It might be a question you've got. Didn't Jesus just pass out on the cross? So that, that's, the, that's the view of Islam, that Jesus didn't really die, that he, he was sort of in a coma for a few days and then he sort of came back out of that coma. But just think about the evidence, right? Jesus was flogged. Many died from the flogging. He was crucified by Roman soldiers. These guys were professional executioners. They, they only had one job, and that was to kill people. And they killed Jesus. Right? Crucifixion had one function, and that was death. It was the electric chair of the ancient world. No one survived. But you think about it. According to this view that Jesus passed out, this is what must have happened. That Jesus tricked the Roman executioners and pretended he was dead that he somehow survived a, a spear being plunged through his ribcage and into his heart. That from there, he then gets wrapped up in 40 kilograms of cloth and burial spices, that somehow he then unwraps all of those burial cloths and then lays them so that they look like they haven't been unwrapped. Right? He then rolls this enormous boulder out while he's injured from the spear in his side and the flogging, he then rolls this enormous stone away from the tomb. The Roman soldiers are then miraculously somehow asleep and don't notice as this enormous boulder is rolled away. He then sneaks into town and convinces the disciples that he's not injured, but in fact resurrected from the dead and in imperfect health. Are you kidding? I mean, that guy's in hospital for a month without a heart. I mean, how, how is that possible? As a result, most historians are totally embarrassed by that view these days. Jesus died. Uh, it's very clear. Uh, the second objection that some people have is that didn't Jesus re rose, sort of rise spiritually and not physically? So some would say this, that what he did is that he rose in history. He didn't rise in history. What he rose was in our hearts by faith. And so what the Gospels are, it's sort of like what the disciples wished had happened. Now, and that's the belief of, say, Jehovah's Witnesses and liberal Christians. Although you can't say that Jesus hasn't risen and call yourself a Christian. So there's no such thing as a liberal Christian. And yet, this is a total contradiction to exactly what the biblical evidence says. In Luke 24 that we read just before, Jesus was at pains to show them that they hadn't seen a ghost, that he really was physically alive. And so what does, he, what does he do? He says to them, Why do doubts rise in your minds? Touch me and see. They, he thinks that they think he's a ghost. So he says, look, a ghost does not have flesh and blood like you see that I have. And so what does he do to prove that? Well, he eats in front of them. 
He gets them to touch him. The Gospels are very clear that Jesus has physically risen from the dead. They're not talking about a spiritual resurrection. They're talking about a physical, spiritual resurrection. He's alive. Some would say, well, maybe, and I'll go back to this, maybe didn't they hallucinate, perhaps? Maybe they hallucinated. Really? Really? So his mother hallucinated. His friends hallucinated. His enemies hallucinated. 500 people hallucinated at a time. And they hallucinated for 40 days. Right? This is in the 1960s, right? This is... <laughs> Right? It's true. You see, and the other, the real intellectual, non side sort of thing about hallucinations is that in order to hallucinate, you need to have, so the psychologists tell us, that you need to have a prior conception in your mind that something is possible. And yet neither Greeks nor Jews believed in an individual resurrection. They had no concept that that could possibly happen. And so it's very hard to believe that they would imagine something that they had no conception could possibly happen. For example, in Greek thinking, it was horrendous to think that you would be physically resurrected from the grave after death. In pagan Greek mythology, what Plato and Aristotle and and others taught was that the body was evil and that the spirit was good and that after death your good spirit would escape your evil body. And so to think that we've stolen the idea of resurrection from Greek mythology is just outrageous. Right? They had no concept of a physical resurrection. And not only that, Jewish people believed that on the last day, remember we, we learnt last week, the Jewish people on the last day that the whole of humanity, that everyone who has ever existed would rise physically from the grave. They had no concept that that would be for an individual person before it would be for everyone else. Not one Jewish person could have expected that one person would come out of the grave and not everyone who has ever lived. And so to think that a Jewish person would hallucinate is just nonsensical. And not only that, the the hallucinations or the appearances stopped after 40 days. Why was that? It's not because the hallucinations ended, it's because Jesus physically ascended up into heaven. And the reason why I want to share all of this with you guys is because I want you to know that there are really, really good reasons, biblical and other reasons, why we believe that Jesus is alive. And because Jesus is alive... He is both Lord and God who rules heaven and earth. Because he is alive, he is the Lord who will judge the living and the dead. Because he is alive, he is returning to gather his people to himself. Because he is alive, he's actually prepared a place in heaven for you and for me. And so the most important question that we'll ever face in life is, do I believe that Jesus is dead? Or do I believe that Jesus is alive? And what what hope does that possibly lead us to? Well, Paul says this at the end of 1 Corinthians 15. He says this in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 55 to 57. Have a look. He says, Death has been swallowed up 
in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God that he gives us the victory through Jesus Christ. I mean, the constant teaching in the Bible is that the reason why we die is because we've rebelled against our Creator. The sting of death is sin. And when we pass through the heavens and when we receive our resurrection body and when we come before the Lord Jesus on that last day, we'll either have to pay for our own sins or Jesus, who has died and rose again, will pay for them for us. And there is really good reasons to believe that he rose from the dead. He predicted that it would happen. He died at the hands of Roman executioners who don't miss. He really came back from the dead and he appeared to hundreds and hundreds of people. The disciples went from cowards to heroes and proclaimed it. The gospel writers were silly enough to make women the people who first saw it. Non-Christians even said that he rose from the dead. Josephus, a Jewish historian who had nothing to gain, said that this happened. There are really good reasons to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And so the question we need to ask is, do we believe, if, is he dead? Or do we believe he's alive? And if he's alive, he demands that we, we respond to him. Uh, let's pray. Um, our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you didn't leave Jesus in the grave. And we thank you, Father, that you've passed down the evidence to us. That Thank you that you've given us the scriptures. Thank you that they record for us in history what happened to your son, that he really did die and that he really did rise again to bring us forgiveness and the hope of eternal life. Father, we thank you that Jesus is alive today, that his tomb is not enshrined, it's not worshipped in front of because he's alive. Father, we thank you for that amazing truth. And yet, Father, we know that, that we ourselves or many of our friends may have all sorts of questions surrounding Jesus' resurrection because pe dead people just don't come back from the dead. And so we pray, Father, that you would give us the courage to, to share the evidence that we have, to share the reasons for the hope that we have, to talk to people so they might come into contact with the true and living God who is indeed risen. And uh, we pray in his name. Amen.